Good morning, New Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, the place where love abides. My name is Deacon Dylan, and you are live with us on our Sunday School Digest. Today's date is uh, July 10th, 2022, and we're in lesson number six in our Union Gospel Press. Uh, again, my name is Deacon Dylan. I bid you greetings from our pastor on behalf of our pastor, Dontel A. Hall Sr., and welcome to our Sunday school. I'm just going to say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all things. We thank you for allowing us to wake up this morning in our right minds. We pray and ask that you will bless over our lesson, Lord, and allow us to get something from it. Lord, we ask and pray that you allow us to be a better body of bold believers and that we will just continue to press, uh, Lord, for your glory and for your honor, Lord. Help us to reach those that are lost and that we may recorrect our actions, Lord, and get back on the right track. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So this lesson is coming from the book of Micah, and the title is Micah Stands Firm for God. Micah Stands Firm for God. You can find our scripture today. Our lesson text will be coming from the book of Micah, chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. We also have some related scriptures in Amos, chapter 7, 10 to 17, 2 Chronicles 28, 8 to 15, James 5, 1 to 9, and 2 Peter 3, 1 to 10. Uh, this is taking place in Judah, and it's between 736 and 722 B.C. I'm going to read our scripture text, Micah chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. In the day, in that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, we be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore, thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy, they shall not prophesy to them, that they shall not take shame. O thou art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late, my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye, put, ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. The woman of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. Amen. So we see here, Micah is speaking out against uh, some of the people for their atrocities, what it sounds like. Um, I was reading through the lesson here and and Micah is chosen by God to confront the people for their disobedience and keeping uh, 
God's covenant. And God is displeased with their actions, their their false prophesying, their treatment of people, the travelers coming through their land. And God is essentially warning them to flee the land, because if you don't, I'm going to punish you and allow your enemies to take captives or to take your land from you. Um, So it's a state of disobedience. Uh, And they are at a place now where God is using Micah to confront them about what they've been doing. Sounds real familiar, right? Don't have to be 736 years before Christ. That sounds also like today. But let's get into it. First part of scripture here is nothing to cling to, no portion. In this chapter, Micah identified many of the sins of Judah, specifying violations of of the Mosaic law. He did this to warn the people that God's divine punishment was on its way unless they changed direction immediately. Okay? And one thing that's a blessing about that right there, I'll stop really quick. God's character a lot and and we see God's character in a lot of scripture. He gives us ample time to correct Sometimes his judgment is swift and it's right there, right? But a lot of times, more often than not, God gives us so much time to correct from our wicked ways. He gives us so many warning signs, whether it's by way of his prophets, whether it's by way of his word, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's, you know, you getting, you knowing better and you choosing to do the wrong thing. He gives us so many chances to get it right. But let's keep going. It says they were so bad that they even devised evil plans while they were falling asleep at night and then carried out those ideas the next morning as soon as they had the opportunity. Think about how bad that is. You go to sleep thinking about how you going to scheme the next day and God lets you sleep and wake up to still commit that sin. And you didn't have any reconsideration during that time. Right. That's how evil they were. Among the things they did was covet and take fields and homes violently. In carrying out such injustices, they were oppressing their fellow men and taking away their promised heritage. God said, in that day shall one take up a parable against you and lamb it with a doleful lamentation. Those outside the land would make up a song to mock the people of Judah. At that same time, God's people would mourn with these words. We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How have he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. The time was coming when God would remove his blessings from his own people and would himself take away their property and give it to others. So God is so fed up with what they got going on. He's giving them a little bit of a a forewarning that if you guys don't stop this, your blessings that is intended for you will no longer be there. I'm going to take it away or allow your enemies to take it from you. Right. You know, the scripture says it. uh, uh, I got to find it. Some folks had continued on in sin that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Right. He allow your sin to overtake you. And this is no different here. 
they were wallowing in sin and treating their own and others so badly that God is saying, I'm going to allow your enemies to take the very thing that was promised for you. They would therefore no longer have any portion or allotment left to themselves in their land. Enemies would take it all and force them into captivity. Their prideful self-confidence would be utterly destroyed. Okay, pride cometh before the fall. Second section is no boundaries. Micah 2 and 5. The entire system of dividing up land among God's people was about to be destroyed. We know the fulfillment of this statement would come about because the land was going to be controlled by enemies. The remnant of Israel that would be left in the land would have no authority for dividing up anymore. So they wouldn't be able to handle their own affairs. They wouldn't be able to, to disperse the land that God had given them amongst their own people because they're in, they would still be occupying it, but wouldn't have any authority over it. So they're going to be house guests in their own home. Think about that. Somebody coming to your house that God has given you and telling you where to sleep, when to eat, what TV station you're going to watch, right? Uh, when you can use the phone, how many showers a day you could have. It's your home, but you have no authority over it, right? This is what Micah meant in saying there was going to be no one deciding boundaries in the congregation of the Lord. The parceling of the land was soon going to be done by the Babylonians and those who remained in the vicinity who were enemies of Judah. We see their presence in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. No prophesying, Micah 2 and 6. Micah was apparently quoting false prophets in the first part of his verse, though it is likely that many of the people were also calling out Micah to stop prophesying. They didn't want to hear the truth of Micah's prophesying. They'd rather listen to the, the, uh, the itching ears of those that were prophesying, right? Where they had itching ears for false prophets, I should say. This was an attack on Michael for his ministry of faithfully declaring the words of God to them. It was a forceful demand that Micah stop giving out the message he was proclaiming. The attitude from the false prophets was that the people of Judah were God's people. As long as they continued to participate in worship rituals, God would not harm them. What they were ignoring was the fact that God wanted heartfelt worship, not just empty ritualistic worship. God wanted heartfelt worship, not just empty ritualistic worship. Going through certain motions did not satisfy him. Let me do a commercial break right here. If you think that because you show up, you're doing God a favor, you're mistaken. If you think just because you stand up on cue or you say amen, you're doing God a favor, you're mistaken. Whatever you do, do it in spirit and in truth. That's the only way to please God through faith and, and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. It's the only way to do it. The last part of this verse is difficult to interpret. There's an interpretation that says, uh, Micah and his supporters faced a group of prophets, perhaps employed by the temple, who deny the doom and gloom of Micah. They continue to promise prosperity while Micah demands a new way of life or destruction. We must remember that just because we do not like a certain message from God does not mean it is not true. The only right way to live for God 
is by hearing and obeying his word, whether it agrees with our personal ideas or not. That's important. You have to check your ego at the door. Check your your understanding or lack thereof at the door. Check what you like at the door when you're talking about God's word, right? His word is complete, is final, and it's true. You can't add anything to it, and you better not take anything from it. So if you can't accept it the way it is, that's just the way it is. You got to learn to accept it, right? No spirit. In a rather pointed implication, Micah addressed his audience as thou that art named the house of Jacob. They were Jacob's descendants, but they certainly were not acting the way Jacob would have acted. They were so-called named the house of Jacob, right? We have so-called Christians today. We say we're Christians. Are we really following God's word? While the false prophets were assuring the people that God would never move against them, Micah asked whether the spirit of God was restricted to any one line of activity. They were telling the people that just because God's chosen people was their security and that they had no reason to worry about God's chastening and Micah's warnings. Let me read that again. They were telling the people that just because God's chosen people was their security and that they had no reason to worry about God's chastening and Micah's warnings. And this, they were clinging to the promises and ignoring warnings. It might be that their unbalanced message was coming from a flawed reading of Deuteronomy 26, 18 and 19. The people of Judah were forgetting that being God's children meant he would bless them if they obeyed and discipline them if they disobeyed, just as any human father would do. So just because you have uh, favor of God doesn't give you the license to sin. Right. No different than I love my children, but if they are disobedient, I'm going to chasten them because I love them. That's what Micah is saying here. You can't fall back on the fact that, oh, well, you know, uh, I'm 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 the I'm the king's kids. That doesn't give you any more leverage to be uh, nasty and mean to people. In fact, it's more of a reason that you should stand for righteousness because of who you are. So it doesn't give you the license to be disobedient because of who you are. In fact, this should actually restrict us even more because we should want to please our father, in this case, our heavenly father. Amen. It says the people of Judah were forgetting that being God's children meant he would bless them if they obeyed and discipline them if they disobeyed. That's something to keep in mind here. No one to believe. We're almost there. Untrustworthy people. It is God who is speaking from verse seven through the end of the chapter. In verse eight, he proceeds to enumerate some of the sins they were guilty of committing. The Lord accused some of robbing others of their robes. The victims are portrayed as people walking by feeling safe and secure. These might have been travelers innocently passing through their land. It also possibly that this is a reference to debtors having their garments confiscated because of lack of payment. Exodus 22, 26 to 27, for example, says, If thou 
at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge. Thou shalt deliver it unto him by the sun goeth down, for that is his covering only. The Hebrew word for pull off means to strip or unclothe. It is a word with military connotations describing typical actions of men of war against their victims or captives. So they were taking spoils, right? You weren't able to pay. Don't worry. I'll take that robe. Oh, you're not able to pay. Don't worry. Uh, you know, your, your, your son or daughter is going to have to work for me being evil. Right. This shows that they were not uh, living up to their lineage and living up to who they were as God's people. Displace women and children. If you want to make a God angry, you, you treat women and children bad. It was bad enough to be cruel to the men, but those who were greedy were so obsessed that they also took advantage of the women and children. Perhaps it was from the widows that they exacted payments that women could not afford, causing them to lose their homes. Their homes were their only possessions. It was one of the most cruel and thoughtless actions that could have been taken against them. And it gives an accurate portrait of how far the people of Judah were from God's standards. Even the children were victims of cruelty, having their inheritance taken from them. Families were separated and displaced by the inability to maintain their lifestyles. And the children suffered tremendously from being taken into captivity. We just talked about that, right? Micah described a hopeless situation being caused by those who lived self-serving lifestyles. God specified in his law the care of the widows and orphans, both of whom were now suffering greatly. And finally, lying prophets. God had intended Israel's land to be a place of rest. If they had lived according to his word, if they had lived according to his word, if they had lived according to his word, the Lord's desire would have been realized. The term of Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy 28 and 30 promised blessing and continuance in the land upon the sole ground of obedience. It was a contingent upon the sole ground of obedience. In case of disobedience, there was but one alternative, exile. So you can stay here so long as you are obedient to my word, or you can get to step in and find somewhere else. Micah, therefore, is pronouncing the breach of his covenant, of this covenant, or its non-fulfillment, and the exile which inevitably followed. Moses referred to Israel's rest before they crossed the Jordan River. For ye are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth you. But when ye go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that ye dwell in safety. Since it was truly not a land of rest for the Jews, and since God was going to remove them from it, he encouraged his people through Micah to get up and get out. At the time of Michael's message, Micah's message, escape was possible for them. But if they did not leave immediately, they would experience the destruction of their land. So God is saying, I'm giving you a 30 day notice. You can get your gatherings, get your stuff and still have possession. Or we're going to put a sheriff sale on all this and lock you out from your own inheritance. And you're going to see the destruction of your own land. 
they were putting their confidence in their own manner of living instead of doing instead of what God wanted from them. They would soon find out the prophets had lied to them. Uh Uh-oh. So you put confidence in man's word and you found out that it was all a hoax. Right. Consider this application. Those things that delude and are unstable satisfy the heart of the one who has turned a deaf ear to the word and revelation of God. When men turn from the truth, they do not occupy themselves with some higher substitute, but with downright fables. So in closing, if I had to give you one last final thought, I would say. Always remember to do God's word according as it is written. If you're following that to the best of your knowledge, to the best of your ability, right? I believe God will be satisfied with your efforts. And if you are off track, he will give you guidance to get back on track. What you do with that guidance is up to you. If you rather continue after being informed of your your misdeeds the wrong way, then you can expect to suffer consequence, right? But if you have correction of your actions, then God is faithful and just. It says the word is is, uh, confess your faults, right? One to another. Uh, It also says that we should, uh, that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That's where I was going with that. So God is a merciful God who gives us so many opportunities, even when we're off track to get back on it. If you don't take heed to that, then you can expect penalty and punishment from your doings. Right. It's only right. Let's go over some of these practical points. To turn from God's ways is to sacrifice the blessings he has bestowed upon us. It is foolish and disastrous to take the advice of those who reject God's word. We have nothing to fear if we walk according to God's word. To rob others of their dignity is to rob them of glory or blessing that God has for them. Favorable outward circumstances cannot save us from the internal corruption of sin. That's a good one. And sinners always welcome those who approve of their lifestyle. Right. That's that itching ear. You don't want to hear the truth. You want to hear something that's going to sound good to you. Well, that's all I have. I pray that. The word found you where you are. May God bless you and heaven continue to smile on you. Come and see us one day. We're located at 1086 South Chapel Street in Newark, Delaware. And again, uh, we'd love to have you on behalf of our pastor, Dante A. Hall Sr. We'll see you next time.